According to the National Center for Drug Abuse, over 165 million Americans ages 12 and up are currently abusing drugs or alcohol. Of those 165 million Americans, there is a mom, dad, sister, brother, wife, husband, son, daughter, or grandparent praying and pleading that they would stop. Addiction is a subject most people don't like to talk about and is kept behind closed doors. But the Finding Hope podcast will bring light to the subject and give families that are living in shame, guilt, hopelessness, fear, worry, and anger, tools and education to find strength, peace, happiness, joy, and hope. Hello, I'm Amy LaRue, Finding Hope Coordinator for Hope is Alive Ministries and your host for this Finding Hope podcast. At Hope is Alive, our mission is to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. We do this through our intentional next level sober living homes and faith-based support groups for the loved ones of addicts called Finding Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Before we begin, I'm excited to announce that registration for our third annual Finding Hope Retreat is now open. This year's retreat theme is Rooted in Truth, will be March 31st through April 2nd at Post Oak Lodge and Retreat in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This will all be done in a relaxed atmosphere with keynote speakers, including Hope is Alive's COO, Allison Lang, and Christian author and speaker, Karen Jenkins Salisbury. There will also be incredible breakout sessions, small group discussions, worship, and a time of self-care. And you can learn more and register at Hope is Alive net forward slash rooted in truth, which will also be linked in today's show notes. On this episode, we'll be talking about the fentanyl crisis hitting America that is killing more than 300 people per day here in the United States. To help with this discussion, I have a very special guest joining me today, Miss Kiara Morris. Kiara was born and raised in Oklahoma City. After graduating from the University of Central Oklahoma with her BA in Mass Communication and a minor in Marketing and Business, Kiara pursued her MBA at the University of Oklahoma. She has over 18 years of experience in marketing and business development, with the past eight years being dedicated specifically to addiction and recovery industry. She is the founder of AMP Resources, an organization that is devoted to connecting professional resources for substance abuse and mental health with those who struggle and with their families. Kiara has been with Stonegate Recovery Center since 2017 and has contributed to helping countless individuals and families get their lives back. She serves with a compassionate heart and truly has a passion for helping others. Kiara believes she is fulfilling her true calling. Her ultimate goal is to help others in as many ways as she is called to do by providing support and guidance in the process of finding help and trusted resources for those who are in need and for their loved ones. So welcome, Kiara. Thank you for having me, Amy. 
So tell us a little bit more about you. That was a big old bio. So tell us who you are. What do you like to do in your free time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if anyone knows me, they know that um, my job is my life. Um, I've made it a passion um, from from a childhood, not even knowing what my mm. calling was going to be, um, helping others. And so I really get my cup full by helping others. And so what I do in my spare time is if I'm not working or helping many, many people, I love baseball. Um, mm. I, I coach my kids. I, I play myself. Um, and so that's what I enjoy. I, I spend any chance I get on the on the ball diamond. Basically. Yeah. And in your bio, it said that in, you switched to um, the marketing and stuff side for addiction and substance abuse. Why did that? Why did your passion change and your career path change to that way? Yeah, absolutely. So I worked in the dental industry for um, over six years and I um, experienced major growth um, really quickly and then they decided to sell the program mm. or, the, or the dental office and so the people who were also investors in the dental office decided to invest in treatment facilities okay not really knowing my background and my history um, I'm a daughter of an addict a sister of an addict um, a niece of an addict an aunt of an addict um, cousin friend you can keep going down the line um, and so when they told me what they were doing um, and asked me if I was interested in coming on board and kind of doing some marketing for them I jumped on board. Um, it really fulfilled a passion of mine and interests of mine. Um, and it was a way for me to once again, fulfill my passion of helping others. So, so what have you learned? So it sounds like addictions surrounds you and it surrounds everybody, whether they know it or not, Absolutely. you know, so what have you learned since you've transitioned into this field? Compassion. Okay. A lot of compassion, meeting people where they are and a lot of understanding. Um, you don't know someone else's story mm. um, and judgment. We all throw it around like candy Absolutely. and it's unacceptable. Um, and we have to just put our stigmas, our biases aside and meet people with love and compassion. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, we're here today and I asked you to be on this because of this fentanyl crisis and you are a big advocate, a big voice to let people know that this crisis is here and it's not going anywhere and it's just going to continue to spiral out of control. And so we have to be the voice to bring awareness to it. Um, whether, you know, we love someone with a substance abuse disorder or not, this is here and it's like I said earlier, killing 300 people a day and it's just going to continue to rise. Right. Absolutely. And so, um, I just want to share with the listeners first, I was at Christmas recently with my family and sitting across the table with, from my cousin and he lives in Western Kansas and he, um, he is an EMT. And so he gets lots of calls, you know, medical calls. And so I was just like, Hey, tell me how, what you're seeing out in Western Kansas. Um, here I am in, you know, a city, Oklahoma city in West, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. I've never been where he lives, <laughs> but I said, tell me what you're seeing. And he's like, actually just recently he, they got a call, um, for an overdose and um, got to the house and used Narcan to revive and transported that person to the hospital the minute they were leaving the hospital after they took that patient, they got another call at the exact same home for another overdose. And so immediately they turned around, went back to the house and again, used Narcan. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that later and took him to the hospital. And thankfully they both survived. But 
you know, that's what we're seeing. You're seeing multiple people overdosing in the same home at the same places. Um, and so I want, you know, fentanyl is becoming known as a, ma- a weapon of mass destruction. Absolutely. And people might think, what? You know, if they haven't heard this before. So we tell um, our listeners a little bit about what does that mean? Why, yeah. is, why is fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction? Absolutely. So if, if you're not familiar with, with fentanyl and what is going on, um, I know Amy talked a little bit about it. Um, it is, it is like she said, killing on average of 300 people a day that I've been referenced by the DEA. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that that is like literally a plane going down every single day in the United States of America mm. and nobody knows about it. No one hears about it. No one talks about it. And if you had on your news when you woke up in the morning that a plane crashed that had over 300 people in it and they all died instantly, how would that affect you? Would you start talking about it? And then if it kept happening day after day after day after day, would you still be silent about it? Would you still turn your head? Or would you start talking about it and want to do something about it? You know, people, I mean, after two days, they would be talking about it. And you would want to know why. Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. How can we stop this? Let's put a plan together. And so that's kind of what what I've started to do. So just to wrap back a little bit, um, in October of 2021, I really started seeing this as, okay. as a person who's ran a resource group for the state of Oklahoma since 2015, we've experienced, you know, the highs and the lows. We were known as a meth state. Mm-hmm. All, Oklahoma was known as the meth state. Mm-hmm. Um, and that quickly changed. We went to heroin, black tar heroin, back to meth because meth is cheaper. And then we had this huge opioid epidemic. And so everyone who was anyone was trying to get pain meds. Anywhere, anyway. Um, and then once they cracked down on that and put a stop to that, whether it was through the doctors or prescribing or through the pharmacies, they put a stop to it. And so then you see all these people who now have to still fulfill that, mm-hmm. you know, that high that they need or that, that pain release that they need. And so they're starting to find other ways to do that. And then you hear of a, a product that is cheaper it gets you a, a higher high um, and it, it, it's readily available anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's that's their go to. And so you start seeing more and more people actually seeking a drug like fentanyl um, just for a specific reason of having that higher high. However, not knowing the risks and what actually fentanyl is on the other side of it. And so to wrap that back up is to say that there there are Fentanyl is amazing. If you've ever had a surgery, you've probably been given fentanyl in a medical surgery performed by a doctor setting. However, what the people are actually dying of, um, fentanyl poisoning, that is synthetic fentanyl. That is fentanyl that's being processed and made by people in in, in garages and, and, and in the back of people's homes and being brought over through the borders. Um, it is made with multiple chemicals that are not actually designed in a in a laboratory with doctors and specialists who do this and so what they're actually getting and what they're actually putting in the, into their bodies is is lethal it's deadly it is some might get a high from it and and survive and then some might die instantly and that's the reality of playing russian roulette with what's on the streets now so and you said something about it being cheaper and i get lots of questions about that what does that mean and then you know why are people you know if it's cheaper 
why are they not selling it for more? You know, so explain that the cost of of the fentanyl and why it's cheaper and why people are seeking this more. Yeah, absolutely. It's mass produced. Fentanyl can be laced or pretty much any substance can be laced with fentanyl, um, whatever substance it might be. And the thing about it is it, it's less than a grain of salt. Mm. So if you think of a little, if people put a a, grain of salt in, it's smaller than that. Absolutely. A tiny grain of salt is all that is needed to get you that high or kill you. Mm. And so mass production of it, it's cheap. It can be cut and processed into anything just to add that additional extra high. And so because it is mass produced and because there is plentiful of it and it can go in all substances, the majority of people... I, I don't like to call them drug dealers, but they, they are drug dealers. Um, it's easy for them to get. It's cheap for them to get. So then they can turn around and make a profit and sell to the masses. Um, it's, it's a quick turnaround. Um, a lot, I heard the um, OSBN say about it the other day is that you have to have a poppy seed for, you know, you have to have a marijuana plant. You have to have all these different things and you have, it takes time mm-hmm. to, to grow a marijuana plant or poppy seeds and all of those things to whereas fentanyl is mass produced in a laboratory or in the backyard, um, similar to meth. I mean, meth has a high, 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 um, people seeking it. And so, and it's cheaper. And so you see a lot of people who can't afford the opioids um, or heroin for that matter. They turn to meth because it's at the end of the day, it's cheaper and it's easier. It's accessible. Um, So what I'm hearing is it's quick to make, to produce, and they can put it in anything. Absolutely. And people are getting the high that they need or want that makes them, you know, whatever the reason they take it to numb, whatever they're why they're taking the drug. So it's getting that quicker, right? And, you know, you called it Russian roulette. So what does that mean with fentanyl? Yeah, so absolutely. Russian roulette, um, if anyone's ever played it, it's it's life or death in a split second. And so let's just talk about um, most of the people who are seeking fentanyl are seeking in a pill form. Um, it's being chopped up, cut up, and, and put in pill presses, and they're taking it thinking they're taking a Xanax. So they or, might not know that it's in absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay. They might not know. They think that they're ordering a Xanax or a Percocet or, or some sort of prescription medication and at the end of the day that high that they're getting is a fentanyl high it's not from a xanax or a percocet or Mm. loratab or something like that it is actually from fentanyl and so the people that are seeking a high get this amazing high a high like they've never had and then they're like oh i want more if they live past that first high so what's happening is the people who are mass producing it they don't know how much is in each given pill mm-hmm. they, at the end of the day they have no clue so they don't know and then they're putting it mass production and so you might want you might have a friend and you're in a house and five of you take a pill four are perfectly fine and one dies mm. tolerance has the key to do metabolism how your body processes substances all of those things are key factors in whether or not you are the one that dies or you're the one that lives and gets an amazing high so that's it's it's a twofold on that side well and it goes back to my cousin's talking about it too like what you know two people in that home and it could have been more more likely it had a higher dosage of the fentanyl 
in it because it was in the same house. And he was just telling me another situation where it was like three people, 18, 21, and 26. So these are young babies. They're young. I mean, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your skin color, your hair color. It doesn't matter. It doesn't you know, it's going after anyone and everyone. And, you know, we kind of talked about it, but you don't have to have an addiction or substance use disorder for this to be killing. I've been hearing it in schools, you know, kids not knowing, thinking, you know, it's candy or I'm just going to try it this one time at this party or see what it is. And it's killing them. Absolutely. Um, what have you been seeing in the schools or with the younger, young adults? Yeah. Well, I want to go back and talk about um, what you talked about as far as who it's affecting and who mm. could be at risk. Um, and so I want to take a moment. And if you're listening, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to envision what you think someone who uses or has an addiction or has a substance use disorder might look like. Okay, if you were someone who saw, you know, a a homeless person underneath a bridge, Mm -hmm. or if you saw the person sitting next to you at the bus stop, or you saw the guy um, who just lost his job and, you know, his kids, or if you saw an angry person um, who has nothing left in their life, or if you saw a teacher. Mm. The mayor, Mm. the mayor's kid. The reality of it is, is you, there's no face to it. Mm -hmm. There's no look that that might, that person might have. This could be your pastor in your church. This could be your neighbor. This could be your mother. You have absolutely no idea who addiction is affecting or who might be at risk for fentanyl. It could be the kid that you just dropped off at church camp. Mm Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we have no earthly idea who this is going to hit, who it is going to affect. But I can tell you within this year, you will have known someone, you will have gone to a funeral, Mm -hmm. or you will have experienced it yourself by the end of this year. I personally have lost 59 people since October of 2021. 59. So the last time I did a fentanyl event was a couple weeks ago, and I was at 53. So just in two weeks, six more, six people that I personally know that I personally have a relationship with. And, you know, just talking briefly, you, you talked about what I do. I help people get into treatment all across the United States. I represent a facility called Stonegate and I was working with a family over the weekend. And as you know, Monday was a holiday, Mm -hmm. right? So insurance is closed on Mondays, Mm -hmm. get a crisis call on Sunday. Hey, my child, he's, you know, I know we, we know he's using, we know he needs help he finally wants help he's literally begging us for help and we want to get him to you all okay we can't run the insurance until tuesday morning right so talk to him get him all on board he's very scared he's you know um not really knowing what what treatment looks like what he's going to experience the withdrawal symptoms from fentanyl itself um not having any earthly idea and knowing that fentanyl is his drug of choice he actually seeks fentanyl i went through crisis mode oh yeah you know where can i get this kid to make sure that he's safe 
um, and and just talking to him Sunday and his parents on Monday. Hey, tomorrow morning we can run your insurance benefits first thing in the morning. We'll get everything on board. We'll we'll get you we'll get you where you need to go. They lost him Monday night. So the impact of getting the phone call on Tuesday, knowing that that kid was waiting on insurance benefits and talking to his parents while they're planning his funeral, he was supposed to go to treatment that day. It's like they they could see. Yeah. Like he's, oh, we're so close. We're so close. Finally. They were right there at the door. And then... His last use was his last use, and it was Monday night. And the the thought that it was on a holiday and from a treatment perspective, our hands were tied without Mm -hmm. having insurance benefits ran. I have to take those phone calls. I have to talk to those parents. I have to tell them, I'm so sorry. Like, there is absolutely nothing else we could have done. And to have those conversations, I'm having those conversations every day, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And so just from October of 2021 to this to today, 59 people, seven of which being my own personal family seven. is wow. unheard of, unheard of. So the personal, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to cry. Um, the personal aspect of this is that I lost two cousins two weeks before Christmas it, it was unreal. It shocked our family. Like we um, didn't really know what to do. And the sad thing about it is, is they're not talking about it. Mm. They didn't even want it mentioned at the funeral. They didn't want the cause of death at all or the past history of substance use disorder or anything discussed at the funeral. I was asked not to say anything at the funerals, which is unacceptable, the stigma behind that, and it's in my own personal family. And so wrapping it back up to who this can affect, it doesn't just affect those who are actually using, it affects their families, mm-hmm. it affects their communities, their churches, their um, their jobs. I mean, think about it. You are a prominent person. You are a leader in your job. You have 10 employees underneath you that depend on you. And then one day you just don't come back. Mm-hmm. Like it is affecting everybody. Every form of society is affecting. And if it hasn't affected you, it's going to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can list some people right now too, right? Like we have a funeral here in another week to go to, and it just breaks my heart and talking to that mom and the significant other and just hearing like, I thought they had it. I thought he was good, you know, and it's just hard. And, um, I think two things when you're talking just now, it just look at your line of work, what you do, we can't save them, no. but we can be a voice. Absolutely. And now we need to be a voice for those and be a voice for the future and for our kids. I know you have two young kids. I have three and I'm very open about this. And I know Absolutely. you are too, like, <laughs> because I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Right. It's life or death. Right. Absolutely. And I need them to know that well, I have an eighth grader. She's going to be a freshman next year. It scares me, you know, and, and I've, uh, you know, fifth grader going to be in middle school next year. And so we can't save them. We can't, we can't do. And I, you know, we talk about that on this podcast, you know, we, we can love them so much, but we can't love them. We can love them to death. Yeah, absolutely. Let's be real. Um, Yeah. At the end of the day, like we, 
I have an eight-year-old son and, you know, he, we talk openly about, you know, what I do for a living, our, our family history, you know, I, I myself am breaking the chains of addiction in my own family. And mm-hmm. so I'm very open of why you don't have a certain relationship with certain family members and, and the boundaries that we have to put up with certain people and, you know, keeping eyes and ears open and, you know, not taking substances or being in certain situations. But the reality of it is, is my son has watched the fentanyl video that I that I take in to schools mm-hmm. and do these fentanyl events with and he can tell you exactly what fentanyl is he can tell you exactly what I do in a child's version he says my mom helps people who use drugs get treatment mm-hmm. I mean I don't know how much more you can break that down to an eight-year-old um but the reality of it is, is he now talks to his friends and he told his teacher, like, you know, my mom said I can't take anything, even candy, because it could be yeah. something bad in it. And at the end of the day, I know I don't want to put a fear tactic out there for the world, but I just want us to open our eyes, have those open conversations um, provide knowledge to our kids. Don't hide it from them that this is the world that we're all living in. And we have to be prepared as parents. Our job is to prepare our children for the world that we live in. And so if we're not having those conversations, then we really should be. I mean, you can break it down to to the age that they are. I have a three-year-old. Now, he would have absolutely no clue yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> but, I mean, once they get to the age where they, you know, start hanging out with friends and they, you know, might have a sleepover if that's something that you allow your kids to do. These are all conversations that you have to have. I mean, at the end of the day, how many of us grew up in a household that we went over to a friend's house and there was stuff laying on the tables? You know, you were readily available I mean, personal story, but my dad um, was a drug dealer. And so I was constantly, I mean, it was in my house. It was in my face. It was all around me. If I ever had a friend over, it was normal to me. But to them, I mean, if they touched something or grabbed something or used something, it wasn't like they had no, they had absolutely no idea what that was. And so we all have different upbringings. We all have different stories. We all have lived different lives. And so we have to educate our kids on, Hey, you know, you might not have had the same childhood as your friend. And these are the things that you need to prepare yourself for. Like you don't take anything from anyone. Well, it's not prescribed to you and your mom doesn't give it to you or your dad doesn't give it to you. You don't take it. Yeah. And one thing, you know, I hear and I'm sure you hear it all the time. It won't happen to us. Yeah, it won't happen to us. It's not going to happen to our family, you know, until it does. Yeah. Right. It's not going to happen until it does. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, you know, it is. It looks sometimes it looks like Smarties. Right. Sometimes some of these you know, pills or candy. Have a Minnie Mouse. I was about it. to say a Minnie Mouse or Spider Man. And like I show my kids, my five year old. I'm like, I, I mean, in a five year old sense, you yes. know. Um, but yeah. And I was just right before the podcast. I was even talking to you guys um, about my daughter, my ten year old. We were at a store, and this guy was like, "Oh, do you want a piece of candy?" And she and she knows, no, I can't take candy. You know, which is you know, we can laugh, but it's really sad. It is you know, absolutely and sad. it's one of those like, I'm grateful that she's hearing. My my words mm-hmm. and knowing, you know, and I always tell them I'm a safe place, you know, and that's what we need to do. We have to educate in a sense and not sugarcoat it anymore, yeah. you yeah. know, and that's why, you know, I want people on here not to, you know, to know, to share this podcast, even with the people that say it won't happen to me. Let's educate. I share things all the time with my family. Um, you know, I got slowly getting people to watch the video, see this, you know, but some of them still aren't cause it's not going to happen. Yeah. 
Well, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Okay, that tell because, us, tell us. So just trying, we, we do the fentanyl events, which if you're not familiar with the fentanyl events, is it's when we, we show a video, we go into towns, cities, And this churches. is mostly in Oklahoma, yeah. right? Okay. We've done it in Kansas. We've done it in Arkansas. We've, we're doing it in Texas. Um, and so, but mainly all, I try to get it in every town and every community in Oklahoma. And so doing that you hit brick walls. Mm -hmm. This doesn't happen in our community. We don't want it in our community. And literally all we're trying to do is provide education. We show a video about fentanyl. We pair it up with a panel of professionals and typically a family member of someone who's been whose life has been taken with fentanyl poisoning Mm -hmm. Um, and just an impact panel, basically. And just so we can say, hey, even if you think this isn't happening in your community and say it's not say you're that lucky blessed community that it has that hasn't experienced fentanyl if there's one out there not if there's one out there (laughs) um say you're that community let us prepare you for the chance or the 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 resources that needed if that were to come to your community. But the reality of it is, is sometimes it takes it happening to a prominent member of mm-hmm. that community before it's a problem. And so we've experienced ourselves. We were shut down by a lot of communities all across mm-hmm. the state. Like you're not coming. We don't need it. Um, you can't come into the schools. It's not happening here. And then we get the phone call Two girls mm-hmm. overdosed in the high school bathroom. Now we want you to come out after the fact. Now we want you to present this to our parents. We want you to present it to our community. We want, we want you to bring all the specialists and all the Narcan and all the resources. And it's like, why did you wait till it happened before you decided to agree to let us come? And so that's what my passion and my drive is, is to get there and provide you with education and awareness to hopefully prevent, or if it does happen, you have the resources available to hopefully save a life. So tell us about that. Um, you're talking about having the resources. So what are those resources? And talk a little bit more about Narcan. Yeah, absolutely. So when I say having the resources, it's being educated, knowing what, you know, <clears throat> fentanyl has no taste. It has no smell. You would never know where it is, what it's in. Um, so you, I can't say you have certain things to look for. However, we talked a little bit about who is at risk. One, our children, mm-hmm. peer pressure. If your child is going to a, a birthday, a house party, even if it's a couple houses down, even if you know the parents, the neighbor, and there's six or seven kids there. One person brings something, hey man, these these pills I have, let's have a good time, let's all try it. Peer pressure is real. I mean, I can probably say, raise your hand if you ever experienced or tried something ever in our childhood. Yeah, I took a wine cooler out of my mom's fridge. You know, <laughs> woo, got a headache, it was never again. Um, but the thing is, is the kids, our children, they're not, it's not normal anymore. They can't go to a house party, drink, have a hangover the next day, be grounded for a month. And, you know, yeah, that's their life experience. That's how they learn. They're not having that opportunity to experiment. They are playing Russian roulette with their lives. If they go out and they take a pill, you know, seven people, four of them might be dead. Mm-hmm. And now here you have four friends that are now dead and you were the one survivor and you all took the same pill. So that's just talking about the children that it's affecting. Let's talk about 
you know, probably most of the audience who is listening today is their loved one is yeah. probably either actively using or in recovery or they've they've lost their loved one. Yes. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So the people at highest risk to die from fentanyl poisoning are those in recovery. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard in my entire life is they are at the highest risk of dying from a fentanyl poisoning are those in active recovery. Mm -hmm. So what that basically means is those who they got it, they're doing great. Yeah. Like they're, they really got it this time. Like they went to treatment, they're in sober living, they have a great support group, they're in community, they're going to church, they've got a great job. They got it right. One time, one trigger one thing that sends them over the edge, one bill that comes in the mail that just feels like it's just the world ends, one relationship breakup, one thing, one time, done. And so most of the people who I've personally lost or I've personally had a a relationship with have been in recovery. I want to talk a little bit about the, the Montgomery family, just because they are near and dear to my heart. Um, they actually pair up and team up with me to do these fentanyl events mm-hmm. all across the state. Um, they lost their daughter, Leah. Yeah. Um, Leah, I helped Leah um, into treatment multiple times. Um, the second time she went through treatment, she really got it. She got it, right? Mm-hmm. She got well, it. I, and I knew her, yeah. She, Beautiful she, young lady. She she had a passion. She knew what she was going to do with her life. Like, she was going to Sober Living, finished Sober Living's program, um, you know, just really had her feet up underneath her, started back college, like, was going to mm-hmm. finish her degree, um, and just one wrong choice, one wrong night, one time. And they say it over and over and over, one pill can kill, and it did. One pill killed Leah Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Like, she is no longer with us. Her parents now are having to tell her story of being poisoned by fentanyl. Um, and the reality of it is is she's one story of thousands Thousands of stories across the United States of people in recovery, people who, you know, are really trying to get their lives together that, you know, I want to say that most people that go into treatment have, we talked about tolerance a little bit ago. They've built up a tolerance to whatever substance they've chosen to use or multiple substances. You build up a tolerance. Mm-hmm. That's why people seek fentanyl a lot of times because you build up a tolerance to alcohol to where you don't get that same feeling. You build up a tolerance to, let's even talk about weed. You build up a tolerance to yep. certain weeds don't even have any effect on you. Um, any sort of pills, um, to the point where you are seeking a higher high, you're just not getting that same feeling anymore. And so, oh, I've got this, this thing that's going to give you the best high. And so boom, they take it, you know, and say they have a tolerance to where their body can handle that amount of fentanyl. And it wasn't a poisoning amount of fentanyl. Then they're hooked on that high. They're not going to use anything else because they want that high. And now they're seeking that fentanyl high. And so they're constantly going back and that tolerance builds and that tolerance builds. Well, then they get so scared because that next use could be their last use and then they want to go to treatment, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone teams up all their support groups and they get them into treatment. They do amazing in treatment. Like I said, go to sober living, you know, experience that, finally get things under their belt and then something happens. 
and they go out and they use, but they use the same amount mm-hmm. that they used before, and they no longer have that tolerance built up. So it kills them instantly. Mm-hmm. And so, as people who work in the recovery community here in Oklahoma, I mean, you, myself, every every single person here, we are losing more than anyone else. And so the fact that we're not talking about it, the fact that when we make a post, man, RIP so-and-so, we're going to miss you, buddy. Why aren't we saying, we love you. You are amazing. You really had it. Fentanyl took your life. This has got to stop. Like, why isn't that post including fentanyl killed my friend? Fentanyl killed my loved one. Fentanyl did this. Why? 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 And so I encourage those who are experiencing this, who are going through this. I mean, you talked to me over the holidays is like even me when my family didn't want us to post about it. I didn't make any posts out of respect for my family mm-hmm. um, and, and anyone who knows me knows what I do for a living and my passion. And so I refrain from posting things on my social media, but I'm going to give it a little bit. And then I'm going to just lay it all out there. Like, this is the reality that we're living. And if I can't post about what's affecting me personally, then how do I expect anyone else to have a voice? And so being that, you know, AMP resources and the the pedestal, I don't want to say pedestal, but the platform that even HIA has is huge. It, it, It wraps the United States, multiple states. We have these voices. We have these platforms that we are able to use to to get this message out there. And I'm grateful that Finding Hope and you and Hope is Alive and, and a lot of the resources in our community are now talking about it. They're now having these podcasts. They're now having these conversations because I'm one person. And a lot of these parents, they want their voices and their kids' stories to be told. And this gives them a platform to do that. And we're going to see more and more of these stories. And we're going to, it's going to be in our faces all the time until we start making a difference. Well, and you mentioned, um, so we also have our Hope After Loss grief support group. Oh, and it's growing by the day. It is. It? And, you know, just we had a retreat back in October. I'll have another one in October again. And just to hear their, the stories. And, you know, these people who are dying from fentanyl, they're more than their disease. Absolutely. They're more than their addiction, you know? And so this is that stigma and we have to get past the stigma. We have to get past that shame and because it's just going to continue. And so like our grief support group, I they come together, they get to share these amazing stories of their loved ones. And you are, we're hearing the stories of the fin. I mean, you know, I'd say the first retreat, it probably wasn't that many, but now it's more and more have died from fentanyl poisoning, like you're mentioning. And, you know, just our group this last week had two new people join them from the fentanyl. And so, you know, we just want to make sure our listeners have that support and reach out. You know, our groups are um, confidential and we will get you plugged in. Maybe you're not at that point, but, you know, after going to the retreat, I see it more on their own social media about their loved one first their who their loved one is and about this this brain disease that took their life mm-hmm. and um so real quickly um what are 
if you if you see someone wondering are they having an overdose if you'll share just real quick what that looks like and what we do if we see something like that yeah absolutely so typically speaking um we were talking about resources earlier and Typically, if, if someone is experiencing an overdose, they're either in a really deep sleep, like a snore, the, the loudest snore you've ever heard. Um, typically, their chest isn't rising very much um, and, and they're not easily able to wake. Um, a lot of them don't snore. They could be in a, in a deep, deep sleep, um, foaming out the mouth, uh, blue, um, cold to the touch. Uh, all of these things can still be reversed by Narcan. And, and so yeah. tell, people are like, oh, but what if they're not? What if they they haven't overdosed and I give them Narcan? What's it going to do to them? Yeah, absolutely. So technically the actual drug's name is naloxone. Um, Narcan is the nasal administration of naloxone. Um, Narcan reverses an overdose instantly, um, depending. Sometimes you might have to use multiple kits, but that's what it does. And so um, typically speaking, Narcan within you know a, a given period of time you can reverse an overdose um i don't care if you have narcan and i don't care if you think it's been all night use it use it there's been people who are in in an overdose for many hours that are able to still be reversed by narcan so when in doubt use it if they're not experiencing an overdose um it's not going to affect them in any way Mm-mm. so I, you and i could do it yeah, right now and it I would not put it up my nose right now and it would have zero effect on me um however if i was in an overdose and i put it up my nose or someone administered narcan on me i would immediately come out of my high and i'm gonna be angry yes you are you took my high away and now I'm feeling everything and the world's ending. And so just be prepared that if you do administer Narcan and it does reverse the overdose, they are going to be angry. You still have to contact medical services, call 911, get IMSA there, um, encourage them to seek treatment. Um, most of the time, and this is what's happening. So Narcan is readily available in our state. Thank God, um, because we have funding We because of what our state is going through and because of what fentanyl is, is doing to our communities. They have allowed us the opportunity to have Narcan available. Now, if you go to a Walgreens or, or a pharmacy or something like that, you might not be able to get Narcan. Um, insurance might cover it. Otherwise, you're going to pay 50 bucks. However, if you Google Narcan hubs near me, it's going to pop up all kinds of places you can go in and get it for free. Okay, so say that again. Narcan Hubs near me. Near me. <laughs> um, or you can go to okimready.org, fill out a form, and they will send it directly to you. Or you can text naloxone, which is N-A-L-A-X-O-N-E, to 55155. And we'll try, we'll yeah. put some of these, if you'll get me, we'll put yes. these in our show notes. So, because I know people are, might be driving <laughs> and like, oh, I can't write this down. Totally. So totally. we'll get all this in the show notes yeah. for people so that they have the resources. Absolutely. And so it, it's free. It's available. Everyone, it should be like Band-Aids. If you have uh-huh. Band-Aids in your purse, you should have Narcan if you're in your purse. If you have Band-Aids in your medicine cabinet, you should have Narcan in your medicine cabinet. If you have a first aid kit, all coaches. So I'm a coach, right? Uh-huh. We have to have oh, first I'm glad aid you're kits. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Narcan should be in your first aid kit, mm-hmm. right? So let's talk about this really quickly because I, I really want to make people understand that this can happen to anyone is the fact that our kids, if you've ever experienced played sports and you've experienced an injury of any kind, most of those are given some sort of pain medication yep. for that injury, whether it's surgery, whatever the case may be. So they're starting out really young. And if they have any genetics anywhere in that pipeline of substance use disorder, they may or may not develop an addiction from that one prescription, that one surgery, Mm -hmm. that one time. Okay, as an athlete myself, I've had many injuries, you name it, I've been prescribed pain meds. Luckily, God bless me to not experience that. Yeah. Right. But I'm not, I'm one of very, very, I'm very the same. Few. I've had. <laughs> right. So we, I've been able to experiment. I've been able to do those things. Not everyone is able to do that. And so as a coach of athletes, Narcan should be with me all the time because you never know when that person's like, man, I, I really want to get a Lord tap. I'm, I'm, I feel pain. I'm going to call my friend down the street or I'm going to get on my social media on my phone and say, who can get me something for this? You have absolutely no idea what they're getting, what they're taking and how it's going to affect them. So when they show up to play whatever sport and they want to take a pain medicine before they come and play, you never know if it's going to be the last one. You might be the one in that bathroom trying to give CPR mm-hmm. to someone who is overdosing. So having Narcan in your schools, having Narcan in your first aid kits, having Narcan readily available anywhere and everywhere you are is the biggest thing that I can tell every single listener here is there is no excuse, no reason to think it's not going to happen to you, that you don't need Narcan. Get it. I don't care. Get it. It's free. It's available. If someone was handing you something free right now that could save someone's life, why would you not take it? Why? If you can answer me why you would not take it, so be it. But if you have the opportunity to potentially save someone's life, I would take as many as I can. Oh, and I'll be honest, like I keep it in my purse and my daughter does all-star cheer, but I don't take my purse with me. But I move the Narcan from my purse to her backpack because no matter where we go, and that's what I say, youth ministers need it. I mean, I was getting on, and I kept sending all this stuff to our youth team because I'm like, when you go to camp, when you go to mission trips, um, pastors need it, teachers need it, everyone needs it. And, you know, I have it at home. And I have it in my purse. I have it everywhere. And so we will definitely, I'm making some notes to make sure we get all these things in our show notes for today. Um, We need to wrap this up. And so is there any last things I like to leave um, in my podcast with a challenge? And so just, I'm going to ask you to share your challenge. But my first two things I would say is share and educate yourself. Share this podcast. Make sure people are listening. Have a family dinner and just, you know, at the end, we're going to listen to this podcast or watch a... Or ask them if they know a fentanyl. Yeah. And um, get Narcan. Absolutely. Figure out. And we will, if you can't figure it out, reach out to me and I will figure it out. If you're in, let's say, North Carolina listening, we will figure out how to get you some Narcan in your in your um, possession. What would you challenge our listeners? Twofold. I would challenge them to have those conversations with their kids. Have those conversations with your loved ones. Have those conversations with your community or church. Bring these events, bring this education out, be a voice, share it. If fentanyl does not come out of your mouth at least once a day, 
one time a day, that's all I'm asking you, to have a conversation about fentanyl to someone in your community, someone around you once a day, that's all I'm asking. Very good. So thank you so much for joining us, Kira. I, you know, I truly appreciate you. Thank you for your wisdom and your, and your passion for this and for breaking the stigma and the shame and all of that. Um, and you are, you're like, if I need anything, I can text Kira and she'll have a resource right there. So just thank you. And thank you for always partnering with us and, um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week. And I hope, um, this was impactful and educational for you and everyone can learn more about finding hope at findinghope.today. And I'm also going to say, maybe you're out there with the grief, the hope after loss groups. You can learn more about that at hopeafterloss.today. Um, but before you go today, be sure to give this as a five-star review, share, share, share this on social media and subscribe to this podcast. So you don't miss our next hope filled episode. Thanks again for joining me, Amy LaRue and our special guest, Kiara Morris in this episode of finding hope. And remember you are not alone. It's not your fault. And there is hope. This episode of the Finding Hope podcast was brought to you by Hope is Alive Ministries. To learn more about Hope is Alive, visit our website at hopeisalive.net. If you are in need of immediate assistance, don't wait. Call us now at 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. To find out more about Finding Hope and how you can get involved in a meeting close to you, visit findinghope.today.